This podcast is brought to you by Nerd Wallet. Are you paying for your me time with just any credit card in your wallet? While you shouldn't stop treating yourself, you should start paying with a credit card that has perks. Nerd Wallet lets you compare top travel credit cards side by side to maximize your spending. Some even offering 10 times points on your spending. So what could future you do with better rewards? A free flight? Room upgrades? Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. Reminder, credit is subject to lender approval and term supply. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. There's a lot happening these days, but I have just the thing to get you up to speed on what matters without taking too much of your time. The 7 from the Washington Post is a podcast that gives you the seven most important and interesting stories, and we always try to save room for something fun. You get it all in about seven minutes or less. I'm Hannah Jewell. I'll get you caught up with The 7 every weekday. So follow The 7 right now. Hi, everyone. I'm Katie Couric, and this is Next Question. I don't know about you all, but just thinking about Molly Shannon makes me smile. For six seasons, she starred on Saturday Night Live and brought to life so many enduring characters, like Catholic schoolgirl Mary Catherine Gallagher. Sometimes when I get nervous, I stick my hands under my arms and then I smell my fingers like that. (laughs) Proud 50-year-old Sally O'Malley. I'm not one of those gals who's afraid to tell a real age, and I like to kick, stretch, and kick. and Delicious Dish co-host Terry Rialto. Please welcome the owner of Seasons Eatings, Pete Schwetty. <laughs> but there's a lot about her story I didn't know, like how she dealt with loss at a very young age, her zany father, and coming into her own as a comedian. She gets into all of it in her new book called Hello, Molly!, And we get into all of it in our conversation. Hello, Molly. Well, hello, Molly. That was such a mom thing to do, but hey, what are you going to do? Molly, Shannon, I'm so happy to talk to you. Congratulations on your book and everything in your life. And just before we talk about what's in your book, Mm -hmm. how has it been, Molly? Have you been enjoying this book tour uh, you know, how was the process of writing it? Are you feeling uber vulnerable? Just tell me what you're thinking and feeling these days. I do feel I, I, I have really been enjoying the process. I'm really proud of myself that I wrote a book. And yes, you, I do feel vulnerable, but um, I mostly I've just been enjoying it. I, 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 I've been enjoying the process. And I think I just appreciate uh, opportunities and show business. So I, I have a generally positive attitude. Yes. 
But it's very, very, like, deeply, profoundly personal, obviously. And uh, it's full of, as one critic said, emotional truths. And Mm -hmm. uh, just burying your soul and kind of letting people in Mm -hmm. to the deep, dark places of Mm -hmm. your psyche. Mm -hmm. Um, is, Is it something that made you at all trepidatious or does it feel liberating what um, yes, I think I thought about everything deeply and thought about it a lot and would comb over stuff like, is that OK? And is that is, what about that? And what about that? I think deeply about each element. It's not like random or anything. I'm really thinking about it. Um, but I also think women should share their stories. And I think vague, sentimental writing is kind of boring. And uh, I just was like, if you're going to do it like, you know, you did it. It's like if you're going to do it. Do it. You know what I mean? I feel like women need other women. People need people. You know, I think um, sharing stories is important. So I just wanted to be brave and do it. And honest and and vulnerable. Yeah. Yeah. Are you sick of of telling these stories over and over again? Are you enjoying the publicity of it all? (laughs) Um, I, I, I guess I'm a comedian, so I don't mind telling the stories over and over again because I feel like I'm always like, oh, you can perfect how you tell it and set it up that way. I'm always thinking like as a writer and also I had to do live book events. So I was like, oh, I've got my little, you know, act together on the road. So you, you get better at kind of knowing, oh, that fits, that works. Like, you know, for those live book events, that made me nervous actually, because I felt like, are they expecting a comedy show or something? Is this, I, I as a comedic actress, I felt like, oh, I better give them a thousand percent. And I, I said uh, to my book, uh, publishers, I was like, do they know it's just like a and a Because I, I get worried about, you know, being bo- boring or something. You know. And did they tell you you don't have to do a whole like stand up routine? They did. They said, yep, you don't have to. And people know what this is and it's OK. But as I continue to do them, I would still, you know, OK, that story, that story gets a laugh. Tell that one. That's a good story. That gets a laugh. So I, I as a performer who does comedy, of course, I am conscious of that. <laughs> You know, <laughs> well, you don't have to you don't have to tell the stories that got a laugh. You can just have a full on straight conversation with me about anything and everything you want to talk about. But wow, Molly, you know, I guess the tears of a clown. This is what I thought about when I read the part about your childhood, because I don't think that was particularly well known, Molly, that. Mm-hmm. You had a terrible loss when you were four years old. Mm-hmm. You lost your mom, you lost your sister, and you lost your cousin mm-hmm. in a car accident. And your your father was badly injured mm-hmm. uh, as a result of it. And have people been as shocked to learn this about you as I was? Yes, I think people were like, oh, I didn't know that. And I kind of put it in context and I explain where certain characters came from, like Sally O'Malley, how she limps when she come on, comes on stage and how that's really me imitating my dad's limp after the accident. And then her kicking is really my wish for my dad to kick the braces off. It, a, lot of a, a lot of my characters are impressions of my dad, but as women, um, there's a lot of kicking, a lot of physical stuff. And um, sometimes when you're not even conscious of stuff, it just comes out, you pour it out into the art and it helps you heal and survive. So I think it's interesting because people knew me as a comedian, but then to give the backstory of kind of where this comes from 
is hopefully can put it into a context, you know? Yeah. But I was going to say one more thing, Katie. Yeah. Some people were asking, you know, these interviews might be emotional and is this hard, but you know, honestly, I don't mind being deadly serious. I am a more serious person in real life. And sometimes I find it harder to have to, to have to just be funny or, you know, do, be do on late night shows. You know, I, I, I'm so appreciative of that, but that's really hard. Like I almost, my true nature is to be more serious, you know? Well, yeah. can you talk, I mean, at the risk of making you talk about it again, as yeah. you, I'm sure you've, you've done, I mean, it's a very harrowing story. Uh, tell us, set the scene and what was happening. And then Molly, I can only imagine. And in fact, you write about all the emotional baggage that you and your father were left with. Can you give us the circumstances and what happened with the accident? Um, yes. Well, there was a graduation party, um, for my cousin and it was like an all day party that went into the evening and there had been drinking and uh, I was four years old. My sister Mary was six and my baby sister Katie was three. And um, yeah, so my dad's version of the story, and I believe my dad, he stuck to his story till his death um, and never wavered. Um, so, and I, I lay this out in the book in the accident chapter, but basically there was drinking earlier. He had taken a nap. Uh, then they left much later at night. A group of people takes him out to the car. Goodbye, goodbye. You know, I guess my dad asked my mom to drive. She said, no, you're fine. You can drive. He asked my cousin to drive, who was 25. And I think they let him drive. And, you know, people, a group of people are saying goodbye. Um, this is a different time now. Remember, this is 1969. We have so much more awareness on the subject now. We have Mothers Against Drunk Driving. We have Friends Don't Let Friends Drive Drunk. This is, you know, people didn't wear seatbelts. It was, you know, so anyhow, so we left and then my, the car did crash. It was 90 minutes into the drive home. And I will never know exactly what happened, whether he fell asleep, nodded off because he'd driven for 90 minutes. Did drinking, was drinking involved in that uh, yeah. Did drink, if he fell asleep, did drinking contribute to that? Yes, probably. I'm not, I'm not trying to bail him out of that, but there was never a blood alcohol report. So, you know, my dad always stuck to that story till his death. Like, no, I had asked them to drive. And, you know, so I chose to believe him and I, I really admired my father and he was like my mom at Gypsy Rose. And after that horrible, devastating accident, he pulled himself up by his bootstraps and went on to raise two girls in the seventies and did his best job. And, you know, he was a really good father, you know? Yeah. But that must've been, gosh, Molly, just a crushing blow. How old was your mom when she died? My mom was 33. Yes. It's a crushing blow um, to my dad, to me, to my sister, Mary, who survived. It was I'm age four and life as you know, it is just gone. Everything changed in a split second. And it was, it was horrible, you know, and um, losing um, a parent at any age is extremely difficult, but uh, losing a parent as a kid is just like a whole nother thing. That's just, you know, very sad. And, um, you know, it was, I was in heavy grief when I was little, really, feeling like, oh, when I would do fun stuff, like if my mom took, if my 
my aunt took me to the supermarket to buy, you know, toys. I would be like, Katie should be here. She would love these toys. Like everything made me mad. And when we went to live with my aunt after the accident, my aunt um, would cut sandwiches, but she would leave the crust on. I was like, no, my mom cuts the crust off. Do it like my mom. You know, it was just mad and heavy grief too much for a child, you know. And you were four years old and yet you remember so much. You talk mm. about looking at Mary and having her sort of fall apart, your older sister, mm. uh, in the hospital. And it's it's amazing to me how how vivid those memories are for you still. Yes, they are so vivid. It's stuff you'll never forget. And it is interesting because it's such a, uh, you know, I, I remember that. I remember people coming into the hospital. Nobody would tell us what was going on. I was like, where's my mom? Where's Katie? And and then, yeah, I thought, well, Mary will be my guidepost. But she was just so upset and looking out the window and, you know, crying. And so it was just like, I was like, where is my mom and where is Katie? And nobody's telling us what's going on. They're just bringing us all these presents. And we just had our beds filled with toys. And I was just like, uh, this must have been so confusing to just for a little four year old girl to even attempt to process everything that was happening. It must have been so overwhelming. And this was, of course, you talk about a different time where people weren't that conscious about drinking and driving and uh, all the things that we're aware of today. Uh, Mm -hmm. They also weren't that knowledgeable about grief and about Mm -hmm. processing grief and helping kids with grief. And I think in many ways we still aren't. Of course, you know, I think about my girls who were six and and two when they lost their dad uh, Mm -hmm. after a nine month illness. So kind of a different set of circumstances. And Six and ten, you said? Six and two. Oh, six and two, so little. So yeah. Little. Yeah. Yes. So of course I relate to them, you know. And did yeah. you I know that you've you've talked about going to therapy, but this was much later when you went and and, and talked about these issues. Did you get any help, any kind of counseling as a little girl to help you deal with this? No, I did not have any counseling. And I think people were like, don't talk about it. It'll make her sad, you know, and teachers didn't know what to do. And, you know, nobody talked about, you know, people didn't talk about it. And I think I didn't, I probably didn't want to talk about it because I think you don't want to stand out in school. You don't want to feel different. You want to just blend in and be normal, you know? It's so true. That's what kids do. They, they want to be normal. They don't want to have, they don't want to be different than the other kids. And it's interesting when Ellie, Ellie's dad was sick because Carrie was just so little. Ellie was in kindergarten and I, uh, I had this social worker come in and do this thing called the worry cup. And everybody put, uh, one of those plastic sort of fake gemstones into this cup in the middle of the circle. And they all talked about what they were worried about. And what it did is Ellie obviously said she was worried about her dad who was sick, but other people said, I'm worried about my grandmother. I'm worried that my dog is going to die. And I'm worried about this, that, or the other thing. But it basically, it, it made, it made Ellie's pain and anxiety. It normalized it. 
because it showed that she wasn't alone and that other kids were really worried about things too. And I remember her teacher telling me it, it was one of the most profound experiences she had ever had as a teacher. But, you know, there obviously that wasn't around when you were a little girl and you just were, obviously people didn't know what to say and you just felt weirder and weirder, I'm sure. Yeah, I, I although I did have a priest at St. Dominic's who did when we moved back to our family home after my dad recuperated, we lived with my aunt for a year. And um, we did have a family priest when we went to church one day who knelt down and acknowledged the loss. He was like, now Molly, you've lost your mother and your baby sister. This is very sad. And he, he held my hands and looked deep into my eyes. And I really appreciated it. I was like, oh, I felt seen and understood. And I was so happy he said something. And I just, I loved him for it. He had big, thick eyebrows and an Irish rug. I was like, you know, I, I just, I, I loved Father Murray for the, for that, you know. Did your dad talk about it much or was he sort of of the school? Let's not bring it up because it'll make Molly and Mary sad. He had a picture of her by his bedside night table with her in her wedding dress with a rosary draped over the photograph. So I grew up always seeing that in her mass card. And um, he would talk about her. Yes. And when he would clean the house, you know, he was a single father after that. So he would, he would get stressed out cleaning and, and then, you know, he would take, sometimes he would take Dexamil to clean the house, a combination of an amphetamine and tranquilizer. And he would stay up late cleaning and clean all the next day. And then the house was sparkling clean and he would play Judy Garland. And then we would sit on the floor in the kitchen on the carpet. It was like 1970s kitchen. And we would eat. He's like, don't get crumbs on the ground. But we would be like, angel of God, my guardian dear, to whom God's love commits us here. God bless mommy and Katie and Fran. Every day we did that. Every, every day. Yeah. So he kept their memory alive for mm -hmm. you and your sister. Mm -hmm. He really did. And he would talk about her. And um, yes, he did. He did. Yes. Yes. He would talk about her. We'll be right back with the ever charming, often hilarious Molly Shannon right after this. There's a lot happening these days. But I have just the thing to get you up to speed on what matters, without taking too much of your time. The 7 from the Washington Post is a podcast that gives you the 7 most important and interesting stories, and we always try to save room for something fun. You get it all in about 7 minutes or less. I'm Hannah Jewell. I'll get you caught up with The 7 every weekday. So follow The 7 right now. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. 
So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. This podcast is brought to you by NerdWallet. Are you paying for your me time with just any credit card in your wallet? While you shouldn't stop treating yourself, you should start paying with a credit card that has perks. NerdWallet lets you compare top travel credit cards side by side to maximize your spending. Some even offering 10 times points on your spending. So what could future you do with better rewards? A free flight? Room upgrades? Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. Reminder, credit is subject to lender approval and term supply. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. Your dad sounds like such a character, um, not only taking speed to do the housework, but yeah, also yeah. also just how much fun he was. And you describe him as as your mama, June, you know, and yeah. and um, tell me a little bit about him, because he sounds like he was so much fun to be around. He really was. He was just like very silly. He was a frustrated performer. He always said that he wished he would have gone to the Cleveland Playhouse and been an actor. So everything around the house like was like games. Or if you went to the candy store, like Stouffer's on Chagrin Boulevard in Cleveland, Ohio, he'd go, Molly, how about if we go in the candy store and I'll pretend like I'm blind? And I was like, okay, like everything was like a scene or a sketch. And he would knock boxes of chocolates over and then he would take samples and go, is this chocolate? Like very silly. And then um, he would also undress the mannequins or he would, if a lot of times he didn't want to pay because he worried about money. So if we went to the amusement park, Geauga Lake, he would say to Ann Rampton, me, you know, I tell you what, why don't you sneak around the back and hop over the fence and then come meet me in the front so I don't have to pay for you. So we were like, okay, you know, we we're like, 11 and 10 or 11 and we climb over and hop over a barbed wire fence and get scratched. And then we, he wouldn't have to pay, you know? Um, but then he could equally turn and get mad too. Like he would have to take us to, you know, get us our clothes for school. And we went to this local place called the lollipop shop. And uh, my dad was buying dresses. You know, he had very good taste. He was like, classics are the best. And he bought all the dresses to the counter. And then the woman said, Oh no, I'm sorry. He had pulled them off the sale rack, sales rack. She said, no, this, these dresses aren't on sale. And he was like, what? And he would kind of blow up be like, well, that's false advertising. And he would go and knock all the clothes down off the rack, one rack, two racks, and push the racks over then. Come on, girls. And then he would like- You weren't mortified? We were mortified. And then he would hurl an insult at the salesperson like on the way out, like, and fix your teeth. Come on, girls. You know, like terrible. We'd be like, oh no, no, no. Yeah. So, um, yes. So he was charismatic and funny, but then he could also, you know, get stressed out and with all the responsibilities of shopping and cleaning and cooking and, you know, um, but, but overall though, he was very loving and I felt like he always had my back and he believed in me and, you know, accepted me. So, you know, I wanted to tell a real, you know, truthful portrait. It was, yeah, sometimes complicated, but I had deep love for my father. And was he the one that encouraged your theatrical creative side, Molly? How did that blossom and how did he, um, gosh, I guess, nurture that? 
Well, he was he he loved movies. We grew up watching Judy Garland and Easter Parade and Rosalind Russell, and he loved those strong dames. So I grew up watching them, thinking, oh, maybe I should be like them. And then we were always doing skits in the house. We would do like a telephone game. I call it the Jim Shannon School of Acting, where we would take phone calls. And my dad, we had to be really real. So I would answer the phone. Hello, Shannon, rest is Molly. And he'd go, no, 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 that sounds fake. Or, or you would start the call like, you, you want to, uh-huh, yeah. And so you had to do it really real. So much to the point where when friends were over, we would fake ring the call. And if, say, you were at my house and I was, you know, Katie's over for a play date, I would be like, hello, Shannon, rest is Molly. Yeah, yeah, Katie's right here. Uh-huh. Yeah. Right. Okay. Yes. I can put her on, you know, I try to pull you in (laughs) so much that we can really trick our friends. And I really do use that acting technique. Now I used it in white Lotus. I always try to use the Jim Shannon school of acting in my, you know, professional. Well, how does that, how does that translate to like the roles you're playing the Jim Um, Shannon school? Because you, it gives a natural performance. It does give a not, it's not like some caricature, it's real. So if you're playing, you know, like Kitty in White Lotus, I'm not doing like, hey, darling, come over here. I'm doing, oh, he's so cute. I'm doing it real, but she's, I'm making it real, but she's that type of person. But I still hope to do it grounded and real. I'm not doing, I mean, that is from my dad. <laughs> Isn't that interesting? Yeah. And then in, And then in L.A., I remember struggling and I was like, oh, it's so hard. I'm not blonde and beautiful. I'm never going to make it. He was like, well, that's not a good attitude, Molly. You're never going to make it if you have that attitude. He's like, what you need to do is, you know, put on your high heels, doll yourself up, put on some lipstick and you march in there to those Hollywood agents and casting directors. And you say, hey, hold the phone. I got talent and use your singing voice. And uh, I was like, uh, okay, I don't know if that's going to work. But um, when I had my first meeting with a talent manager, Barbara Jarrett in um, New York City, who represented an up and coming freckled face, Jerry O'Connell and Stand By Me, I did do that. I sang the song, Chicago, Chicago. I sang a Judy Garland song, like my dad liked. And I got up on the desk and Barbara Jarrett was like, you got it, kid. And she signed me and I was up, you know? So it's it like, it, his, his advice did work. Did you call your dad and say, hey, it worked, dad? I, I did. He knew it. He was like, I told you, you know, he was always like, doll yourself up. Isn't that funny? Katie? Jump on the desk and jump use, you know, and use your voice. Is that what he said? Exactly. He did use your singing voice. Yes. Yes. That's so funny. I know. It's so crazy. Um, so I, I have to ask you about there was a time in Cleveland when mm. when you hopped on a plane wearing with a friend wearing yes. ballet tutus after your dad dared you. Yes. My dad dared us. He said, you know what would be the greatest stunt? If you hopped on a plane, boy, that would wind you up in the front pages of the papers. And so <laughs> Ann and I, one summer day, right before Labor Day, decided to do it. We told my dad, I think we told her brother, and he was like, you're never going to get do that. And we we took the rapid transit out to the airport, Cleveland Hopkins Airport, and we figured if the hopping on the plane didn't work, we would go take a ballet class. Yeah. Anne was 11, I was 13. So we had pink leotards on, our hair pulled back in buns and um, pink skirt and pink tights. And we looked like 
little innocent prima ballerinas. And we went to the airport and we saw two flights, one to San Francisco, one to New York. And I was like, let's go to New York. We just went up to the gate. This is before security. This is 1976. And uh, we just said to the stewardess, can we get on and just go say goodbye to my sister. She's on the flight. She was like, oh, sure, you sweet girls, go ahead. And then we went and the plane wasn't that crowded and we ducked down in the seat. And then um, the plane starts, she forgot about us. The plane starts backing up and then going toward the runway. And we were like, oh my God. We start saying Hail Marys. We're like, Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed are thou amongst women, blessed fruit. I'm just holding the God. And then the plane's like up in the air and we couldn't believe it. And then that same woman came around to ask us for our drink orders. And she looked like she was in shock. She was like, can I get you ladies something to drink? And we were Ah, the coke out peanuts and then we had the best flight then we when we landed we thought we we're gonna get busted and we're walking down the aisle and then we got to the front of the plane and we see that same stewardess and she just went bye ladies have a nice trip she was in like a like a she was she looked like she was about to faint. so what what did you all do then we went and we asked people, you know, how do you get so we were at JFK we didn't know anything about New York City I just said, well, we had to get to the to the subway station from the airport. So we walked. We, we were just like, how do you get to the subway? And uh, we walked for 20 minutes and then we topped the turnstile. We only had a few dollars. And then we went and we dined and dashed at a little diner. And then we went and we stole I Love New York t-shirts. And, and we just were twirling around the streets of New York. Like, you know, How did you get well, home? We called my dad and then he was like, oh my God, we're like, we're in New York. And he was like, he couldn't believe it. And he couldn't be mad at us since he'd given us permission. So he uh, he was like, oh my God, oh my God. And then he called Ann Ram's mom and she immediately broke out in cold sores. And she was like, oh my God. And then my dad thought, well, maybe Mary and I will drive to New York City from Cleveland and meet you. So he called a couple hotels to see if we could wait in the lobby till he got there. And they no hotel wanted to be responsible. They wanted an adult with a credit card. So he was like, all right, well, you got to come back home and, you know, come back home tonight and, you know, try to hop on a plane back home. I'm not paying for it. So we went back to the airport and we tried to hop on three and it didn't work. He kept getting caught. And then we called him and he put it on his credit card and we eventually had to pay him back with our babysitting money. But it was the greatest day ever. That is such a funny story. I'm surprised you haven't used that in a movie or done a skit about that. Yeah, I know. I've told the story orally, but it's just, it's crazy. And I'm still very close to Anne Ramp, the girl in the story. More with Molly in just a minute. The 2024 presidential campaign features two candidates who are very well known to Americans. And yet there's complexity at every turn. Criminal trials for one of those candidates. Young voters who are angry. The Campaign Moment podcast from The Washington Post gives you what matters. I'm Aaron Blake, and I'm covering my 10th election cycle. My colleagues and I have insights that you won't find anywhere else. So follow the Campaign Moment right now, wherever you're listening. This is it, your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. 
Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. This podcast is brought to you by NerdWallet. Are you paying for your me time with just any credit card in your wallet? While you shouldn't stop treating yourself, you should start paying with a credit card that has perks. NerdWallet lets you compare top travel credit cards side by side to maximize your spending, some even offering 10 times points on your spending. So what could future you do with better rewards? A free flight? Room upgrades? Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. Reminder, credit is subject to lender approval and term supply. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. I know that when you were at NYU, you had a very formative experience that kind of, I think, opened your eyes and simultaneously open doors as well. Can you tell us about that in your final project? NYU drama school was great. Uh, yeah, we had to do this exercise where it was like, uh, where you have to be the Arlecchino and it was the only grade for the semester and students were renting out warehouses to practice there. And the Arlecchino is basically like the comic relief in the Italian uh, theatrical experiences. It comes out, he's the clown. And um, I'm thinking, oh my gosh, you're renting out a warehouse to practice your Arlecchino. And I hadn't done that. And it was getting closer to, and and I think for the, for the class, maybe only two people would perform their Arlecchino for the class. Cause they were, it's like a long, kind of a long routine. And um, you had to sew a fake penis with a sock because it's a boy character. <laughs> that part was fun. I was like, oh, I sewed up my little fake penis, <laughs> but, um, but uh, I did not, practice at all. And then the day came right to perform. And I was like, Oh God, I'm so scared. Um, I knew that they wanted beats of three. Like you had to, if you did a, a gimmick, like come through the door, you had to try once, try twice. And then, you know, you know, maybe you, you know, and then the third time you succeed. So there had to be jokes with beats of three and, but anyhow, to make a long story short, I just went crazy. I just committed with my full heart because I figured, you know, this this is a big comic performance and I think I know what this is. I think it just has to be spontaneous and big and broad and take chances. And I just went crazy. And I used the acting teacher. I kind of improvised in character as the Arlecchino, kind of playing around with him. And like, you think you're such a big deal, you big acting teacher. And the kids loved it. To make a long story short, the performance brought the house down. I fell in the trash can. I did beats of three. I, you know, came through the door. I did all the physical things and I got a standing ovation. And it was like kind of a turning point at NYU where I was like, oh my gosh, maybe I'm on to something like this. You know, uh, this kind of organic, um, big comedy performance where you stick with the basic beats, but then let yourself be really free within those parameters. And I think I did use that years later on Saturday Night Live. 
I know like a lot of people, Molly, you didn't get the the gig after your first audition, right? What happened? No, SNL came around and they asked for a tape and um, all these women in town, very funny comedy women were all making, you know, five minute VHS tapes. And I spent all my waitressing money on my tape and had this editor do it. And I, I, I had no money after that. And I, I was, I, I was on a payphone um, outside of my apartment on the corner of Fountain and Vine across from El Pollo Loco when I found out that Lauren Michaels had passed or, you know, I don't know if you ever saw it. And I cried on the payphone and I, I was broke and, and, uh, and I, I was so disappointed. But then I thought, you know what, I'm just going to take a deep breath and I'm going to continue to perform and write and do my stage show and write characters and develop more new characters so that if they come back around, I'm going to be locked and loaded and ready. And they came back around five years later and they said, can we have a tape again? And I said, no, I'm not giving you my tape. You got to come see my live show. And because um, I thought a tape's too easy for them to say no. And Marcy Klein flew out and saw my live show. She was like, you're coming to New York to audition for Saturday Night Live. And so. And yeah. the rest, as they say, is history. But during yeah. those five years, so you just stayed at it. You just did your show. You wrote. You did. But you also did something, uh, I guess, the mammoth scam. Mm-hmm. Yes. Well, we were was that during that period? That was before I got Saturday Night Live. That was probably a little bit after drama school. My friend Eugene Pack and I were in L.A. Um, having a really hard time getting agents. We would, I would walk up and down Sunset Boulevard, slip my headshot under agent stores. Nobody was calling. And we thought, we got to figure something out. So we, uh, I called it the Mammoth Scam. We had studied with David Mammoth at NYU. Eugene Peck studied with him more than me. I took a few classes, but um, we just decided that we would uh, call agents and um, agents that we were interested in meeting. Like I, I wanted to meet the agent that represented Joan Cusack. I was like, that's somebody that might like comedy girls. So we did our research and we each had a list of people we wanted to meet. I wanted to meet Bernie Brillstein. I wanted to be on Twin Peaks. So I wanted to meet the cast member of Twin Peaks. So, so basically what we would do is we would Friday night set about four o'clock, we would call different agents offices. My, my character was Liz Stockwell. Jean's fake character, Eugene's character was Arnold Katz. And I would call these agents and I would say, hi, this is Liz Stockwell calling for X agent. And um, Liz Stockwell from David Mamet's office. And they would put the agent right on the phone. And I would say, listen, Barb or whatever. I have this kid in town. He's the star of David's play. He's like the hot up and comer and you've got to meet him. David speaks so highly of your agency. And they were like, that is so sweet. Please give David my best. And um, we knew that the legendary playwright, uh, screenwriter, David Mamet, Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross, wasn't in L.A. a lot. He was more of Vermont, New York. So we kind of knew there wouldn't be a cross check. So it, people were excited. They were excited to hear that David Mamet's thinking about them Friday afternoon. And they would say, great, you know, why don't you have Eugene call me and we'll set up the appointment. But we had a rule since Eugene Pack and I had worked in sales together. We worked at Park Avenue Squash and Fitness in New York. And we had a rule when we were selling health club memberships that you could not hang up the phone until you had the credit card. You have to have the sale. So we did the same thing with the Mammoth scam. You couldn't hang up so you had the appointment in the book. So whatever obstacle there was, we had an answer. So if they said, have, have Eugene call me, Liz, I'd say, this kid's so busy. He's just meeting everyone. He's in rehearsal. So why don't we just get the appointment in the books? And then and we would crack up. We, Gene would pass me little notes. And um, 
And then they would say, great, you know, and then he'd have the meeting and then they'd say, Liz, we should have lunch. I'd say, I love it. Uh, I'll have my assistant call you. I was just a positive gal, very positive, happy. This like, is oh. so funny. And that's how we got in. And I got cast on Twin Peaks through the Mammoth Scam. Gene Pack called the legendary casting director, Joanna Ray. She was like, I would love to meet Molly. Give David my best. And then she met me and she was like, you should be on Twin Peaks. You must meet David Lynch. And she cast me on Twin Peaks. That was through Arnold Katz. <laughs> I met Bernie Brillstein. Bernie was like, give my best to David. You must meet my daughter, Molly. You know, man. I mean, so it was just like, we met everyone. <laughs> <laughs> did did they crazy. did they ever find out it was a total scam? Um, no. I, I actually. Um, well, now they'll know. Yes, and now they'll know. <laughs> yes. Um, no. Jo Joanna Ray does does know now, and she was like, "Oh my god, that is so funny." Uh, she was just such a wonderful cast director. But Katie, what I have to say is, we felt like we're doing them like a favor too. They're meeting the this talent. They're meeting talented people. They're meeting like, us. Yes, meeting us. And I feel like sometimes women do need to push the envelope a little to even out the biased playing field in Hollywood. Maybe more women need to do that sometimes. Yeah, they need um, a friend like Eugene. <laughs> really? Exactly. You need a partner in crime because otherwise it's no fun, right? Exactly, exactly. I mean, it was fun. And people, it was very good energy and the brilliant David man that people were delighted that that he's on their mind. It was all very positive. You know? oh, yeah. It was all very positive lying. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. But, yeah. Um, you know, you talk about Hollywood and, and kind of compensating for the bias that exists. I do feel like there are many more opportunities opening up where there weren't before. But I'm curious about for for a woman as she gets older, you know, women used to be considered washed up by 30, right? Uh, back yeah. in the day. Mm -hmm. And and do you feel like that's that's changing? I mean, I, I could only speak for myself. I hope so. I just think, um, yeah, it's it's interesting. Like as far as comedy goes, I, I remember being like, uh, I really feel like I have to write for myself because I felt like if I'm just going to be in these like boys shows, I'm going to be reduced to these like little parts of like, Yes, doctor. Or I, I don't. I, I, not to make a generalization, but I felt like as a woman, I feel like if you could write, you should write for yourself. Um, it's going to be better if you can. But um, and I also feel like I never wanted to react against men. I just wanted to be a woman and or be a girl and write from a girl's point of view. And so kind of like I can be like that. And I, I don't think reacting against something is good. I think just come from within and be yourself. It's so exciting to see you in in a lot of these roles these days. Talk about some of the recent roles that you've had, because I'm always so delighted, Molly, when I see you and I think, oh, I'm so happy Molly is in this. So let's talk about some of the roles that you've done in, in okay, recent great. years. Promising Young Woman. How How was that? That was so fun. Uh, Emerald Fennell is so talented. I read that script and I was like, oh my God, this is so good. It's one of those things that just, you close that script and I was like, I have to be in this movie. Um, originally she offered me a different part that I couldn't do because the, the kids and my husband and I were going to Tokyo, Tokyo for vacation, but then she gave me another part. I was like, yes, I'm so excited to be in it. She's so talented. And um, 
I was so happy to work with Mike White and White Lotus recently. That was such a blast. And Chris Kelly, who I do the other two with and on HBO Max. And then Chris wrote a beautiful movie for me called Other People, where I play. It's based on his mother who died of cancer. And uh, I play, you know, uh, a wonderful part in that. It's, it's, it's one of my favorite performances. And then Mike White wrote movies for me like Year of the Dog, I did Enlightened with Mike, a TV series with Laura Dern and Mike. I love that show. It's so good. Yeah, I played Mike Mike's White own. is on fire, isn't he? He is on fire. He's he is El best. Fuego. He is. He takes chances. He's really like, you know, it's funny too. When I was writing my book, Katie, he was like, Molly, vague sentimental writing is not good writing. So, you know, make it rich. Don't make it vague. Go for, you know, he was really encouraging. Um, but yeah, he takes chances. And I think it's great because he ups the game in writing. You know, people are like, what? You know, he really, he's brave. Meanwhile, Molly Shannon, you have a new show on Showtime. Yes, Showtime. Sell it, don't give it away, baby. Okay, great. Baby, it's called I Love That For You. And my character is Jackie. Vanessa Bayer created the show. It's about her childhood and overcoming childhood leukemia. And um, basically I play the top saleswoman, Jackie. And uh, it's, it's all about the world of home shopping network. And it's fantastic. It premieres at the end of the month on Showtime and Jennifer Lewis is in it. It's a, a great cast. And, uh, and I love Flynn. Vanessa too, by the way. And it's so exciting because I guess in some ways when you leave SNL, you mm -hmm. probably there's a part of you that thinks, is that all there is, my friend? Yeah. <laughs> Little well, Peggy yeah. Lee there for you, Molly. That's, I like that. I like <laughs> But I mean, you probably worry, like, what's going to be next? And, uh, you know, is this as good as it gets type thing? Oh, sure. Yeah. But I, I have to say, I, getting that job so far exceeded my expectations for life I, that I was just like, I, 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 could, I could actually like freeze myself right there and just be so happy. Um, but yeah, you do worry about that. But I also really wanted a personal life and I didn't want my whole life to just be work. I wanted to have kids. And so I, I just love being a mom. So I, I am pretty laid back about that because my main focus is like my kids and the acting is more secondary to me. And I think that gives that that's made it really, I'm pretty relaxed because that's a great that's a great way to be and a great attitude to have because sort of it's the it's gravy, right? Because you've got yeah, your priorities great. straight. I met your daughter um, oh. at a party this past summer. Remember, we ran into yes. each other where yes. Chris Martin was singing. Um, yes. I think he was singing to me, Molly. I'm kidding. Oh my God, I love no, I'm that kidding. Kid. I'm kidding. I'm <laughs> kidding. OK, but um, how are your how are your kids doing? My kids are so great. Stella is my 18 year old. She's going to college. She wants to be an actress. I'm so proud of her. And my son, Nolan, is just fantastic. He's 17. He's an amazing uh, skate skater, surf. Uh, he's gotten into uh, surfing lately. He's he's very athletic and just adorable. And they are the apple of my eye. And I think I really appreciate it so much because my mom didn't get to see us grow up. So I get to watch my kids grow up and I just don't, I really don't take it for granted. I'm like, this is the best, you know? I, yeah. So I'm really enjoying it. And I feel like you learn so much about yourself as a mom. You know, I really am enjoying it. I love learning and reading books and I try to become a better parent and I try to work on myself and be, become better, you well, know, I, every day. 
I think the loss of your mom at such a young age, I think obviously has given you this joie de vivre and, mm -hmm. and this appreciation of everything good in your life, which is a really wonderful thing. Thank you, Katie. It's true. I, I thank you. I appreciate you saying that. Yeah. Once again, a big thank you to Molly Shannon. Her new book is called Hello, Molly, and it's out now. You can also catch her on her new excellent TV show called I Love That For You on Showtime. So till next time and my next question, I'm Katie Couric. Next Question with Katie Couric is a production of iHeartMedia and Katie Couric Media. The executive producers are me, Katie Couric, and Courtney Litz. The supervising producer is Lauren Hansen, associate producers Derek Clements and Adriana Fazio. The show is edited and mixed by Derek Clements. For more information about today's episode or to sign up for my morning newsletter, Wake Up Call, go to katiecouric.com. You can also find me at Katie Couric on Instagram and all my social media channels. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited time 2% cash back on purchases. And pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment... Oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Hey guys. You know what this playground could use? A wine country, huh? A redwood forest would be cool. Ski slopes! Wait! Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com.